Last week, we met a girl who became an orphan and then a thief. Learning from her foster parents who proved to be more than what they seemed on the surface, she carefully hid the secret they unitedly shared, the secret friend living in their basement. This week, we learn what happens to that girl and everyone she loves before they meet the always waiting hand of death. The girl, Liesel, the book. The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's, Let's get, get lit. lit. This is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, the show about books and drama. Alexis, how are you these days? I'm doing well. I'm actually preparing to return to the States. Yes, yes. If you're just now joining us, Alexis has moved into Prince Harry's room. But after that review (laughs) spare, the royal family wants her out. So she is headed back home from the UK uh, soon. Very soon. You think they'll let me in? Yeah, I think. Who's that? Now with that accent you just put on. (laughs) Yes, I think we'll let you in, but you will never, ever be able to leave. (laughs) Are you oh, ready? No. It's scary over here. You've been living in the yeah. countryside with the sheep and the bunnies. And it's been peaceful. Yeah. Like Ain't nothing but really Glocks peaceful. and AKs over here. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I cannot I wait. Like we got some fun things planned while you're here before you move on to achieving your next goal. You are very goal oriented these days. You are my hero. And I love Guess it. Guess where that's from. <laughs> Never mind. Forget <laughs> that. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and I heard you met a listener. I did. It was really interesting because this is the first time that I've met somebody in the wild. Truly in the wild. (laughs) But they weren't. um, It's not like, you know, we know our friends that listen. Right. We have a few friends that listen. Yeah. (laughs) And our parents. And then but. um. This was a person that was really a listener. I was like, oh, my God. I felt really embarrassed and humbled. (laughs) I I don't know how I felt both, but it was it was really great to meet her. Her name is Jenna. And I just want to shot Jenna out because she um, she was really fabulous. She had a lot of questions about the podcast and she talked about shows that she really enjoyed and I I just just wanted to shout her out because I met her and it was really fantastic to meet her. No, that warms my heart just hearing it from you. We, I mean, this is a labor of love. Some coins are trickling in slowly these days, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're on our fourth season. So we've been doing this for over three years and the time, the preparation, the patience Alexis needs with me alone. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's a full time job. It's mutual patience. It's mutual. It's, it's mutual. It's been more me lately. Okay. <laughs> and moving on. 
something I didn't prepare Alexis for, but I just want to do a little society says real quick, just real quick, because in addition to meeting us in person, you guys have been lovingly adding comments to our Instagram. Um, We're on Podbean. That's where our show is hosted. You've commented over there. Apple Podcasts, of course. And you guys have even been leaving Spotify uh, five star reviews for us lately. Like uh, uh, we got a little boost. So thank you. We appreciate it. Sponsors see that it matters. So this week's Society Says comes from Christopher Neely. Christopher left a comment for us on Podbean and he says, this is regarding Spare by Prince Harry. He says, I love the energy y'all bring. There's more layers in 20 minutes of your analysis than most any book critics work out there. Bringing pop culture, familial, psychological and sociological references to the details and feelings expressed in writing yields empathy as well as an intellectual satisfaction. You two pick up each tome as if it were a gem and look for flaws, sure, but do not ignore the shine from each facet of the story. I can't oh. imagine a better pair of people to examine any work. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I mean, Christopher, thank you so much. Because Yeah, thank you. I feel like I just got an Emmy. <laughs> I, I just want to thank Beyonce because when I was in fifth grade. No. <laughs> thank you, Christopher. You are amazing. Thank you for taking the time to write us this yeah. five star review. I am a little teary eyed. I really appreciate it. We both really appreciate uh, you guys and the haters. We've never really had a hater. We had a couple from the Spare Review um, (laughs) on YouTube. (laughs) It's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) I mean, somebody went off. They hated us. They called us names. I was like, me? Mama, I made it. I made it, Mama. So thank you for everyone who comments because it really does help with our numbers, sponsors, and algorithms of various sorts. So haters, uh, lovers, all y'all, we want to hear from everybody. Uh, Just a reminder, we are a video podcast. So video episodes come out on Wednesday and audio episodes come out on Thursday. Feel free to comment anywhere you see us. And thank you, Christopher. Society Says is the portion where we share your comments, listeners, with the rest of our Lit Society. So feel free to comment and we may share yours on the show. Each week, you guys, we choose a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. This week, our theme is All Ain't Fair in War, Accidental Bombings During World War II. Ooh. So um, inspired by the book, perhaps I wanted to dive deeper into um, cities, towns that were bombed and lives that were taken by accident during World War II. What do you think contributed to these accidental bombings, Alexis? A a desire to win. And Mm. so overeagerness. Yeah. And that. I mean, I'm sure to some extent they care, but that that maybe they don't have the I don't know what it is that guides them on where to bomb, because that's what I was thinking about as the book, um, as I was reading the book, what tells them where to bomb so that they're not hitting um, a street or a, a residential area where people live. So maybe that was off. I don't know. Well, you think of the advancement technology. Tech wise, uh, when it comes to navigation, I mean, for real, I remember we volunteer regularly and I remember being younger and volunteering in communities with nothing but a map, like a physical paper map. 
and we would get lost. We would waste time. When we got TomToms <laughs> and then Google Maps was starting to be more accurate, life changing. For real. Mm-hmm. I got back hours of my life. Um, our volunteering is more effective and it just has improved our lives. Uh, well, think about the type of navigational equipment you must need when you are flying above clouds to take lives on the ground. Mm-hmm. And not to make excuses for anyone. However, yeah, sometimes the nav just didn't really know where you was. You didn't really know where you was and you was like bombs away. That's mm-hmm. ooh, that's crazy. Well, anyway, yeah. let's begin. We're going to go in order from 1993 to 19. Uh, I'm sorry, 1943 to 1945. I got a few for you. Um, all of them involve U.S. Uh, planes. Oh. <laughs> sorry. So the first is in Boise City, Oklahoma, USA. That's 1943. Have you heard about this? No. Well, girl, Boise City was the location of an unusual event during World War II when it was mistakenly bombed by a friendly U.S. bomber crew during training. They weren't even actively in the war. They were training. Sounds like they needed a whole lot more training before the training. They needed the pre-SATs before they took the SATs. Well, they didn't get it. So the bombing occurred hours after a 4th of July celebration. The irony oh on uh, July 5th, 1943 at 12.30 a.m., pilots performing target practice became disoriented and mistook the four lights centered around the town's main square as their target. <laughs> Turn your lights off, everybody. Okay, one they by one, they drop. Turn our lights off. Oh my goodness. <laughs> turn your lights down low. Lord tried to tell y'all. One by one, they drop six practice bombs filled mostly with sand, but with enough explosive material to leave a mark. Now you should see Alexis' face. She's an um, empath. It's mm. okay, Alexis. Nobody mm-hmm. died. Oh, that's, okay. That's, I'm glad to hear that. Mm hmm. Some bombs did fall near occupied homes. I'm not going to lie to you. Folks was in bed. It's 1230 in the morning. You know, everybody ain't like you. Some folks were asleep. They didn't even know what went on until the morning. And they did miss a fuel tanker by only like a few (gasps) feet. So it could have been bad, but no one was killed. Um, There was minimal damage, but the pilots were crazy embarrassed. So Boise was like, listen, I know we got listeners in Oklahoma, but some weird stuff go down there. For example, Boise was like, yay, we've been bombed. This is our um, tie to Americana and history. And they wanted to celebrate it every year. They was like, let's celebrate the accidental bombing. They still celebrating it, y'all, to, to today. So for the to 50th this day, <laughs> to this <Are> day. <laughs> Boise, y'all okay? So for the 50th anniversary of the incident, the crew of the bomber was invited back to Boise. They was like, we want a party for y'all. None of them came. Because <laughs> they know. embarrassed. Why would they? <laughs> the soldiers wow. was like, what you think? No. In fact, I wasn't even in Boise that day. <laughs> so anyway, the they B-17s. <laughs> the B-17s former radio oper- operator did, however, send an audio tape that was played at the celebration. Pathetic. Moving on. Now we get a little more serious. This is 1944, you guys. Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Many of you probably know of this incident. So during World War II, there were, um, now I didn't put this in my notes, but just from school, 
there were like five neutral countries, if I remember. The Iberia Peninsula. So Spain and Portugal was like, ah, we good. Um, Ireland. Oh, I hope I'm saying this correct. Um, Me too. <laughs> Switzerland and Sweden. But during the war, Americans repeatedly bombed neutral Switzerland by mistake. On accident. Schaffhausen is the worst of these incidents. It occurred in broad daylight, April 1st, 1944. Approximately 50 B-24 liberators of a large force misidentified Schaffhausen as their target and dropped 60 tons of bombs on the town. So it's really sad because locals were used to allies flying overhead. So they felt safe. And many of them even came up to like, came outside to look at the sky. Okay. Um, go ahead. Look like you got a question. Are you Googling? Are you being I'm, a producer? Yeah, I Googled it, but I'm Thank really you. like, I'm, that's hard to accidentally. Yeah. Are you mad? A total of 40 people were killed and nearly 300 injured. And large parts of the town were completely obliterated. Um, the U.S. apologized and paid compensation to the town. Oh. But this mm. move was even contested in Congress, as some U.S. representatives felt like this is yet another opportunity for neutral Switzerland to benefit financially from a war they're not losing bodies to. I guess all the bodies they lost get, to the accidental uh, bombings don't count. Uh, Okay, okay. Can we count them? Because they count. Those are people too. I think they count. Um. So, and finally, 1945, back in Switzerland, Zurich. So, a bomber flight formations during the war required high altitude flight patterns and navigational tools were not as accurate as they are today. We talked about that earlier. So, on March 4th, 1945, a formation of six B-24Hs dropped tons of mixed payload consisting of high explosive bombs and incendiaries on Zurich. Listen, five were killed, but this bombing would be unique for one reason, the legal repercussions, repercussions. A court martial proceeding followed and the presiding officer of the trial was, <laughs> you will never guess who oversaw this trial. I'll give you a hit. Rear window, a vertigo. That's my accent for him. Alfred Hitchcock? Close, Jimmy Stewart. So, I wanted to say that, but that was impossible. That was impossible, so I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, the, this life is possible. a simulation. So listen, <laughs> Colonel James M. Stewart, a.k.a. Jimmy Stewart, mm -hmm. famous for It's a Wonderful Life and all those Hitchcock movies we mentioned, mm -hmm. he was uh, the, the officer over this trial because he was an Army person. Okay? Yeah, he was. He was in the military. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The lead pilot and one navigator stood accused for violating the 96th article of war, which is dropping bombs in friendly territory. But in the end, equipment and adverse weather conditions were found to be at fault and those men were found not guilty. In the end, reparations were paid to Switzerland, to the Swiss government and people, amounting to over 220 million USD by today's standards. And those are just some examples of accidental bombings of the many. Like I had to choose three 
because this show can't last too long. Folks be getting bombed all the time by accident. Now, it should be said that in my research, I found sometimes these quote unquote accidental bombings were on purpose because if people mad that you ain't fighting, they might bomb you a little to get you involved. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. I believe I believe that. Yeah. Well, I believe that. But, you know, let me just say, I know I kind of reacted about Jimmy Stewart, but I briefly forgot about his military history. And maybe he had the background to oversee that. um, Oh, he did for sure. That. So I I wasn't responding in a way that he didn't have the qualifications. I was just. I love Jimmy Stewart. We might have some stew heads out there. Is that his fan base? I Jimmy Stews. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, then let's move on. You I would be a, a Jimmy Stew, so I got to speak up. Oh, okay? yeah, you are the You lead in the fan club. Okay, don't get on that's us, Stewies. Favorite movie and stuff. But go on, go on. All right, let's take a break. You ready? Yeah. Okay. The author gave a brief, brief, uh, spoiler-free synopsis, and we also discussed who we think would love this book. But you have more author information you want to share this week. Please edify us. The floor is yours. I do. Last time um, you asked, of course, as usual, who inspired the book, and I didn't have that information, so I just chose to dig a little deeper, and I found an interview that he did where he talked about. What inspired him to write the book? And then also, and that's Marcus Zusak. Yes. And then I also got to the end of the book and it has that information as well. So I just want to share it. OK, so he said that as a child in Sydney, his um, German mom and his Australian dad, um, they would tell him stories. They would tell him spontaneously of what they saw and what they did as children. And it was like a piece of um, Europe, he said, coming into our house. And he didn't realize it at the time, but those stories led to him writing. And he said his parents were teaching him how to write by the way they related their stories. They never said you could be a writer one day, but they brought the stories to life. And he was inspired by the acts of kindness that he heard that took place during those dark times um, where he said, when people were finding beauty in the ugliest of circumstances. And then a little further, um, the question was asked of him, was there a specific inspiration for the story and for the character of Liesl? And he said his mother was a foster child. And so he's he gets that question a lot. Is Liesl his mother? And he'd say no, because the moment he fictionalized her, it wasn't his mom anymore. But he said, mom, okay. Anyway, so he said, my mom was separated from her brother, but he didn't die. And he had heard stories of a little girl who died on a train and her mother had to bury her on the side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. And that inspired his story. So his parents didn't endure suffering. They were hungry. They had hard times. But when he thinks about the tragedies and the things that happened to some of the people, then he said his parents were lucky. So Mm -hmm. most of their stories are from after the war. And then one interesting thing is that his father was a house painter, just like the father in the book. 
Um, and he painted a lot of the Jewish houses, just as Hans, uh, Hans does. So that's a little inspiration for our book, the book. Piece. I love it. Thank you. Did you happen to watch the movie? I did. I did. Yeah, we did too. So uh, maybe we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah, let's well, do that. Without further ado, Alexis, let's begin our spoiler filled deep dive into part two of this book. Please take it away. Okay, so let's do a brief recap. Um, Mama had lost her (laughs) ironing job and uh, Lisa cussed out the the employer. Um, Papa wasn't working. (laughs) Who was actually the mayor's wife. Papa still wasn't working regularly and Max was staying in the basement um, during the day and coming upstairs at night. And Liesl and her best friend, Rudy, were out in the streets stealing and whatnot because they was hungry. (laughs) Yeah. So let's get with part one, The Book Thief. Liesl would eventually decide she wants to steal a book from the mayor's house because she mad. She big mad at this lady. Right. How dare you fire me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm getting up in that house. I'm going to get what I want. And remember, she used to read there, you know, she dropped the laundry off and then just sit and read with them in the house with the wife. So Rudy was go and um, be her backup. So Lisa takes off her shoes at Rudy's suggestion and she climbs to the window, uh, the kitchen window of the mayor's home. Um, and she's real bold because the it's people in the house while she's stealing. Okay. <laughs> but when she gets in, she steals a book, not food. Not Rudy is like, oh, I can't wait to see what the mayor be eating and eat some of it myself. And then Lisa come out with a uh, crime and punishment. And he like, wait, why are you here? Because I don't think we here for this. I don't think we thieving for the same reason. <laughs> he said, listen, we not on the same page here. Catch me up. OK. <laughs> anyway, so she stole the book and she actually stole the last book she was reading before she got her family got fired. It's the whistler. Now, stealing books from the mayor's house would just become a regular thing. This is what she do now. That's her day job. So <laughs> some people go day, to school. Some people are in the Hitler youth. She steals with her uh, little baby boyfriend. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they with like a this little baby couple. <laughs> first action, she would become the book thief. So Rudy would stop going to eventually stop going to Hitler Youth Meeting. And it was probably because of bullying. Right, Kari? The bullying action. Yeah, he um, was starting to get a name for himself, not for being so smart, but being so lovable and being so athletic. Um, But people already didn't like him, especially one kid in particular. So, yeah, he just stopped going. And I think he kind of just wanted to hang out with Lisa. Yeah, but then he ended up joining another division of Hitler Youth, and that's and they specialized in um, teaching of aircraft and flying. So different. Let's Is jump this to- because he stood out athletically? I think this was where he got sent there. No, no, his brother um, wanted to go. So his parents were like, you got to go back because they started getting letters like, oh, where yeah, your boy sure. at? He needs to be there. And he's like, I ain't going back. And so mm-hmm. he got in where his brother was going. It's another area. But yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He didn't want to go back and be bullied. But he was like, if I have to go back, I'll be with my brother. Yeah. Part oh two, God. sickness and the question of death. So around this time, we get a check in from death, our narrator. Okay, and he says the war is coming closer to Himmel Street. So 
On Christmas Eve, 1941, Liesl brought a double handful of snow down to the basement to Max. And it's part of her regular weather report. I don't know if you remember that from last time, but he, you know, he would ask her what the weather was and she would tell him. So Liesl would eventually bring enough snow down for a snowball fight and a snowman. Papa would join in, Mama would join in, and they just had a really great time and they just kind of forgot all that was going on around them. Well, that was the end of December. By the January, early January, Max was cold all the time. He was losing weight. Uh, And one of the activities he did in the basement was exercise. So he would be boxing Hitler, doing push-ups, you know, keeping himself active. It's a little cold in the basement. This is what he would do. Um, he when they would ask him if everything's okay, because he was looking a little sick, he would always say it was fine. He was fine. But by February, while on his way upstairs for his nightly sit in the living room for warmth, he fell in front of the fireplace from weakness. Max was sick. Max was placed in Liesl's bed and the family did everything they could to help him recover. At this time, death, our narrator, inserts a note and he says that he realizes much later that he had visited the home of Liesl but it was likely when she wasn't around. Well, does he so, say he came for Max and Max fought him off? And he was yeah. like, oh, that's refreshing. Yeah, People ain't even fighting me off these days. Yep. Okay, well, I'll come back later. <laughs> <laughs> he was. I really do like death. Again, okay. this is death talking. <laughs> that was I'll, like, come on, Max, come on. And Max was like, uh-uh, I ain't going. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't I want, want to. to. <laughs> so, Liesl... She was really concerned about Max. They had become friends, right? He made that book for her. Um, and she blamed herself. She was like, is it the snowball fight? that?" Co-? And, and everyone was just so kind to her. Max is like, I don't remember if he was conscious, but everyone is reassuring her. That was a bit of joy you brought into our life. You, yeah. you actually have been a bit of joy in our life. So mm-hmm. don't you worry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa would sit with Max daily to talk to him. She would read to him. She would bring him gifts. Um, not like she had money for gifts and she would go down to the <laughs> store and buy him a pack of cookies or nothing. Not like that. She was a booster. She would come in with like Gucci shorts, the new Air Jordans. <laughs> no, not at all. She was bringing in discarded items like a flattened ball. That's a what feather, I said. A small stone from the river, a ribbon. She felt like these small gifts would be ways for her to tell him stories about things that happened mm-hmm. while he was sick, while he was asleep. Because he was literally like unconscious for days and he wasn't up. He was he in wasn't a coma. Talking. Oh, yeah. His, his sickness pulled him into a coma. Um, they would give her things to talk about him with him when he um, awoke. Um, and it showed him she felt that he cared. That's true. She would rush home every day from school to sit with him, waiting for him to wake. And one of those gifts that she brought him was a cloud. Do you remember that part, Kari? About the cloud? Yeah, one day it was um, blue skies, but cloudy. And um, she was with her papa. And he was like, take the cloud to to Max. Do you remember that? I thought it was a very sweet story. Um, Take the cloud to Max. And, And he was 
she was like, well, how would I do that? And he was like, tell him about it. Describe it. it. Yeah. Describe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hold that. And so I think she would later write about it so that she could mm-hmm. tell him about it. So I thought that was cute. Anyway, Liesl was reading the book to him and she would eventually finish reading The Whistler to him. And then she, you know what, go steal another book so she could read. From the mayor's house. Whatever. From the mayor's Light house. Work. That was her, <laughs> that's her side gig, okay? <laughs> <laughs> By mid-March, they were concerned whether Max would die. And if he were to die, what in the world would they do with his body? Grim. Very grim. But by the end of March, he started to improve and mama would show up at uh, Liesl's school to tell her that Max had finally woke up. No. So listen, y'all, it's a Jew in the basement. Now he upstairs, right? In a coma. It's mayhem. If anyone ever found out, it would be the end of their family and all their generations. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Mama is like, Lisa, how am I going to tell you if he wakes up? And Lisa's like, oh, come to the school and yell at me. Everybody will believe it. Because really, Mama is just sweet as pie. She cusses and she screams and she fights. But she's just <laughs> so good. She's so good inside. So Mama's like, OK, that sounds good. So Mama show up to the school and is like, you little idiot. She start cussing out Lisa. And she's like, you took my hair comb. And all the kids are laughing. And Liesl's like, what, mama? And she came in the hallway. She's like, girl, I didn't know how to tell you, but he woke up. Oh, that was so <laughs> sweet. So, I actually cried on this part. It was oh, so cute. And so Lisa goes back to the classroom and like calls her mama bad name. And the teacher hits her and is like, don't talk about your mama like that. And Lisa's like, okay. And she's like, I, nothing can hurt me now that Max is awake. It was she, really cute. You she guys. wanted to feel some kind of pain for this happiness because she didn't feel like she deserved it. And so that's why she um, kind of shouted out. But yeah. <laughs> so death chimes in again, again, our narrator. And he tells us that more cities were being bombed and he was tired from all his work. Mm. Part three, air raids and the parade to Dachau. One afternoon, while Lizzo and other children were playing soccer in the streets, they noticed the soldiers. Oh, let me back up for a second. I meant to tell you that Max did fully recover. Not only did he wake up, but he fully recovered. So the the children were outside playing soccer and they noticed like... um, party members going house to house house and that's it's called um the nsad party members okay they were going house to house um we didn't know why but then Liesl kind of asked around and they're like you dummy of course they this is what they're doing they're trying to find air raid shelters homes for air raid shelters because they're bombing so they're checking basements. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. yeah. So Lisa thought quickly. She was like, I got to warn my papa. I got to warn my mama. They come in so they can hide Max. We don't want Max to get caught. So she ran into another player and fell to the ground. So they're playing soccer. And she like, oh, I'm going to fake an injury. Well, I'm going to get injured. I I'm guess it was no faking. <laughs> so <laughs> crash in, fall to the ground. She's injured, right? So she ended up on the ground. The party members that were walking door to door, they kind of notice and they kind of walk up and see the kids playing. Like, look at this strong little girl. She too good for y'all. Anyway, 
So <laughs> he walked up to check on her along with other children and they tried to walk her home, but she did everything she could to avoid this. She even falls down, gets up and falls down again because Rudy is like, I'm here. I'm her buddy. I will take her home. Yeah. So he so then um, she sends him to go, to go get Papa. He comes out. Papa comes out to get Liesl, Um, And Liesl's like, they coming. They coming. So they get to the house. Sit Liesl like, down. like, smart girl. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, okay, what am I going to do? But it, it, was, it was so close. There was nothing he could do. So what he did was he just notified Max that they were coming. And they didn't have time. Because the party member was down at in the, the basement. Door. Um, the authorities. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a knock on the door, like, yeah. Guten Tag. Ooh. Exactly. Scary. Mm-hmm. Good news. They're in and out of the basement. Max is not found. Um, their home did not even meet the guidelines for air raid shelters. Yeah, the ceiling was too low in the basement to make yeah. a proper shelter. And Max hid amongst the paint cans. I was yeah. thinking, wow, Max, you so thin. They think you a paintbrush. This is sad. <laughs> the paintbrush. Mm-hmm. Potentially, that's the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Lisa, again, goes out, goes to the mayor's house um, and she steals a book. This time she goes without Rudy. Um, just another day. Yeah, just, just another day in a book. Mm-hmm. Book Another day, life. Rudy comes to get Liesl and tells her to ride with him to the mayor's house. There, Rudy points out that there is a book sitting in a closed window. And it was determined that the book was left there intentionally, possibly as a trap. But Liesl mm-hmm. was like, I'm up for the challenge. I got this. Going <laughs> to get that book. When she gets to the window, she sees it's the dictionary. Like a dictionary. So she raises up the window. She raises up the window and takes the book. Is this one that she left cookies to? Did they leave cookies at this time? Do you remember? Um, The mayor's wife left cookies. Yeah. Was it when the, the dictionary was there? I want to say so. Okay. Yeah, I want to think so. So they, she got a book and some cookies. Now, these <laughs> were like two weeks old cookies, but cookies nonetheless. <laughs> As they ride away on their bikes, Liesl turns um, and she sees the mayor's wife in the window waving at her. <laughs> like, girl, you ain't slick. Bye. <laughs> Liesl turns and wave too, like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then they stop on the bridge. Your house. Mm. <laughs> oh, you went there. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So they stop on a bridge on the way home and Rudy is flipping through the book and he sees a letter with Liesl's name on it. And it's a note from the mayor's wife. What'd she tell her, Kari? I know you've been stealing my books. Uh, I ain't stupid. And you can definitely come on and keep stealing them. <laughs> Something like that. Like, this is all intentional. What did yeah. she say? Yeah, well, she tells her. <laughs> she knows I'm. you stealing my books. <laughs> and I hope one day that you will come and knock come on through the, the door. Front door yeah <laughs> instead of the window yeah. like a decent person like a dignified <laughs> human being okay <laughs> and she apologizes mm. for not being able to keep her foster mother employed finally she tells her that the dictionary and the SARS is to help her with the reading of the stolen books Okay, and Lisa decides, I'm going to go back. Let me see if I can chat with her. Well, she gets to the door and she's like, oh, forget that. I'm out. And they go home. (laughs) All right. So 
Now, the first time there's an air raid, um, the, the family leaves the house and goes to the neighbor's home that's set up, that's got a proper basement for the shelter. And when the siren sounds that the air raid is ended, they head back home to check on Max, but they don't see him. Um, I don't know where Max was at this moment, but he tells them that when everything was quiet, he goes outside and he looks out the window. If anyone were to see him outside, it would mean death for everybody. But for real, he ain't been outside in months, maybe years. I don't know. 22 Um, months. 22 months. 22 months. So years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, a year and almost two years. So Mm -hmm. while everyone was in the shelter, as Alexis said, he went outside to look at the stars and they burned his eyes with their beauty. Mm. Mm. They would later learn that this first raid wasn't real. It was a mistake. Kind of like the mistakes that... um, A lot of them. (laughs) You know, that was Mm -hmm. a mistake. Okay. Mm -hmm. No lives lost, though. The next air raid, however, was real. Everyone, of course, is frightened. You don't know what to expect. Your life is in danger. Liesl does a wonderful thing. She pulls out her book that she stole from the mayor's house and begins to read. Out loud for everyone loud to hear. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice. One day, the neighbors of Himmel Street hear an unfamiliar sound. The sound was that of the Jews or other criminals walking. And I I guess it's the shuffle of their feet. They're so weak from starvation and exhaustion, but they're walking to Dachau. The neighbors watch as these men, I think they were all men, wheeled their weak bodies down the street. One of the Jews could barely walk and even fell a couple of times. Papa, the Hans Huberman, without thinking, took pity on the man and offered him some bread. The man took the bread, thanked Papa. A soldier appeared and quickly whipped the man six times, calling him names as blood dripped from his ear He fell to the ground. The soldier then turned to Papa and whipped him four times until Papa fell to the ground and they called him names. Papa immediately asked himself, what have I done? Even death, our narrator agreed. What had Papa done? Mm. Shortly thereafter, because of the pressure and and anxiety of the unknown of Papa protecting this Jew, Max would leave the Huberman home. This is really sad because Papa's like, and by the way, so the bread that he, that Papa gave to the Jewish man, the Jewish man never got to eat because he was beat so badly. And then um, the other men in the quote unquote parade start reaching for the bread and then they're whipped. So this one innocent act of kindness that came from just a human, from the the human heart of Papa caused all this pain to the point where now Max has to leave. 
Mm-hmm. You held out your bread to this one man. He didn't even get to eat it. And now the friend that you've been keeping a secret in your home has to leave because it's inevitable now that they'll they'll come and search your house. That's the idea. Part four, punishment and return. Papa knew he would be punished for giving the man food. He thought for sure that punishment would come immediately, but it wasn't. And boy, was he tormented. It took it's some- like when you know you're about to get a whiff and you're like, just give it to me because just waiting. Is just, that's the punishment. Cha, yes. I'll be myself. The give anticipation. If you don't know that life, you know, you probably got an allowance as a kid. Listen to last uh, to the episode two weeks ago for that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You probably got an allowance as a kid. Uh, you know, check in with us on that. Did you get one? Anyway. Yeah. Um, so it took weeks, but he was finally contacted. And he was contacted in the form of a letter. The Nazi Party acceptance letter. And Papa was like... I didn't even want to be in y'all club. (laughs) I didn't want to be in, but is this a reward? I'm not sure. Well, that was quickly answered because um, he would get a letter a couple of days later and he's being told he's being drafted into the German army. Now, he's too old, really, to be in the army, but they're going to use him. He was being recruited to do the worst possible jobs. Rudy's father was also drafted. That's um, Liesl's best friend. They would go to their assignments in about a week. So they'd be out in the street. But the the last day before they were to leave, they was out drinking. They was really celebrating. Well, I'm, they weren't celebrating, but they no. was drinking. That wasn't a celebration. They were drowning their sorrows. <laughs> yeah, that's what you call that. Correction. Yeah. Drowning their sorrows. Not a celebration. Anyway, Papa's assignment was to stay above ground during the air raids, prop up um, the walls of buildings, put out fires, help people who needed saving and collect dead bodies. Now, Liesl will go steal another book, okay? Because she is the book Stephen. She ain't get that name for nothing, The okay? book, what you say? She the book Stephen. <laughs> she the book <laughs> That's when you steal and you thieving. <laughs> is that what Stephen mean? More on that later. We'll look it up. <laughs> if your name is Stephen, that's because you be stealing and thieving. Go oh. ahead. Oh, okay. I ain't never known a good Stephen. Like, Ooh, think about what? it for a second. I think you have a friend named Stephen. And I don't Not think he like that. Couldn't be me. <laughs> I would never have a friend named Steven. Anyway, this time when she get to the... Oh, yeah. So the cookies was a separate time. Okay. This time when she get to the house, there's cookies in the window. And, and anyway, <laughs> while they're there, she speaks to the mayor's wife and learns, like, who the library... Because it's a huge library, y'all. And she learns that the books and the library, they don't belong to the mayor. The mayor. They yeah. belong to the mayor's wife. That's her prize collection of books. Now, her son had read some of the books, but overall, that's her stuff. And that makes um, Liesl feel, she feels good about that and um, happy to go still again, really. <laughs> so let's jump back to Papa. While he's on assignment, and he's been on assignment for a few. Actually, I think he was on for a couple years. Um, we learned that um, Papa is in the back of the truck one day 
and that truck turns over. One person dies, a couple other people are injured. Um, and this is a, a part where um, Papa, because he's so old, he's being teased. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yep. for a lot of reasons, but there's this guy who wants to be a smart aleck and he's yep. like, I'm sitting there, old man. And so Papa like gives him his seat and that man dies. If Papa had been in that seat, Papa would have died. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of like his experience during the First World War, except that person yeah. was his friend um, and he just kind of helped him out that way. But mm-hmm. of course, this means that Papa gets to go home. So he's released from that type of work. Um, he'll get a break and then he'll go and he'll work in the office. Of course, the family is excited to find this out. So he is going back home. Now, let's go back to the Jews walking and to Dachau. Now, ever since that first walk, Lizo was always on the lookout. And what was she looking for, Kari, when she saw these people walking? You guys will remember that Max had to leave the house. So every time she sees this parade of um, men being tortured, she's looking for her friend Max. Mm-hmm. And so one day it happened. She's not seen a few of them go by, but this time... She sees Max. Mm. She calls out to Max. She runs up to Max. They exchange a few words. And Max quickly pushes Lisa away because he knew it wouldn't be good for her. But Lisa Mm. wouldn't leave. And the soldier would come and whip Max. And then Lisa would be whipped. And Rudy would come to her side. And I would say that uh, Lisa was probably depressed as a result of this. Mm-hmm. After this event happened, she stayed in bed for like three days. Um, Lisa had been through a lot in her young years. I think she was about 14 by this time. She'd seen death um, just too much. One of the additions that the movie made, which was actually I, I liked, was um, as mother is addressing Liesl's wound, she goes, you have too much of your father in you talking mm. about your stepfather. Mm-hmm. And Liesl goes, what's wrong with that? And the mother goes, nothing. Tears. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So the fourth day um, after being in bed for three days, she tells Rudy about Max. Rudy's her bestie. And Max don't even live in the basement no more. So you can tell Rudy. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's go on. Please will do what she do. Okay. (laughs) She going to try to cheer herself with a new book. Okay. She's Steven. Mm-hmm. You know how people get new (laughs) shoes. Lisa would go and get her a book. Okay. (laughs) So she lets herself in. Goes to the library. Okay. She's like, that's kind of like my house now. <laughs> exactly. If everyone knows I'm stealing, am I stealing? Mm. Might as well just leave the door open. Well, <laughs> she gets in the regular way through the window. Okay. And she gets into the library. And, you know, she's still grieving. I think she's still depressed. Okay. So she's in there. She's like, I love books. I love books a lot. And um, they have words in them, and the words are ugly sometimes she's really Mm -hmm. having some feelings 
So she pulls a book off the shelf and starts ripping pages out of the book, okay? (laughs) And not like she ripping them out and picking them up and throwing them in the garbage. She just like leave them there, strewn (laughs) in the library. Um, And then she step out because she real feeling bold, okay? She then rips up the book, chapter by chapter, ripping pages, come out of the library into the hallway. It's like, hey, (laughs) Miss Mayor, is you here? Because I'm here. But nobody's there. So, she, I mean, she was I really think she kind of knew that because, like, Lisa, I don't know. Is she about that life? Maybe. She is. I mean, she broke in when yeah, they was in mind. the house the first time. Got it. She bought that life. And remember You're when right. she whooped that boy. So, she That's that. right. She's been a thug since her baby days. Thug life. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what she's doing. So. Got it. She goes back in the library and she decides, you know what? Let me write the wife a note. She writes this nice little note. She explains that, listen, I'm angry. I'm really feeling angry. I regret nothing. <laughs> Have your maid clean it up. See you next time I come by for some Steven. <laughs> but she decided as a punishment, though, to herself that she's going to stop coming to the house. She does apologize contrary to Kari's thoughts. And I'm sorry three- if my Steven made you feel away. You know, them old backwards apologies. Backwards. And we get one of them all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, three days later, who pop up at her house, Kari? The mayor's wife. Right. Exactly. She shows up looking for Liesl like, knock, knock. I'm here. No, no. She was very gentle. <laughs> um, Liesl's the only one home. She invites her in. They have a cup of coffee together. Like I said, Liesl is about 14 by now. And the mayor's wife tells Liesl that she doesn't think she should stop coming to the library. And in fact, she should come to the front door. Please come to the front door. (laughs) And also, I want to give you this little black book. It's got blank pages in it. I think you're a good writer based on that letter you wrote me. And um, I think you should write your own. Yeah. From there People are on pushing out. her to write. Yeah. First Max, now the mayor's wife. Liesl, um, we'll go in the basement where Max once sat and wrote mm. his books and write her own story. <laughs> Part five, the day Himmel Street died. Death gives us a preview of Himmel Street deaths. And tells us that mama and papa died in their beds during an air raid. And that um, Liesl will be in the basement clutching her black book. So there was um, no air raid. (laughs) That's the problem. There was no siren, no alarm. No one knew to go hide. Right. 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 There's a air raid, but there was no warning of the air raid. Because it was an accident. Do you think it was? Oh, right. It was an accident. I think it was. Yeah. So, and these are likely American or British soldiers accidentally bombed heaven. Now, heaven is the English name for the street where Liesl lives with her family. So Liesl's entire world was taken by death. I don't feel like Alexis made that as sad as I want y'all to feel. (laughs) (laughs) No one was hiding because no one knew it was coming. No alarm was set. 
The, the plane was confused, dropped a bomb, killed heaven. Liesel in that basement writing. Remember the basement that's too shallow to be an air raid mm-hmm, shelter? Mm-hmm. She's in there either writing or she fell asleep writing. Uh, and that's why she did not die. Yeah. Um, so death tells the story of um, Rudy died. All the rest of Hemel Street died. Rudy never got a kiss. <laughs> Rudy never got a kiss. All he wanted in life was for Lisa to kiss him one time. Just once. Just once. <laughs> but she did kiss him when she found his dead body, y'all. She found him and she kissed him smack on the lips. And she even told his father later that she would, she kissed him on the lips. She said it was a little embarrassing, but um, I did that. <laughs> This is kind of like, Lisa, take it a notch down. You ain't that hot. So um, so the daddy, so Rudy's daddy was drafted. When he came home, his whole family is dead. And Lisa goes, excuse me, sir. I kissed your son while he was there. I think he would have liked that. <laughs> and I thought, Lisa, you really do got to, you need therapy. And rightly so. Well, she had a lot of reasons for therapy, but. Yeah, she just wanted him to know. Okay, anyway, <laughs> she goes to each body, um, Papa, Mama. Just, this is really hard. This child has been through a lot. Um, she had the black book in her hand, but at some point she puts it down and she does not have it um anymore. And Death chimes in and tells us that he picked up the book. The LSE men, the men that clean up after the raid, they find her. And after Liesl takes in the destruction, um, it's all very sad. The Last Luck. I moved from street to street and came back for a single man named Schultz at the bottom of Himmel. He couldn't hold on inside the collapsed house, and I was carrying his soul up Himmel Street when I noticed the LSE men shouting and laughing. There was a small valley in the mountain range of rubble. The hot sky was red and turning. Pepper streaks were starting to swirl, and I became curious. Yes, yes, I know what I told you at the beginning. Usually my curiosity leads to the dreaded witnessing of some kind of human outcry. But on this occasion, I have to say that although it broke my heart, I was, and still am, glad I was there. When they pulled her out, it's true that she started to wail and scream for Hans Huberman. The men of the LSE attempted to keep her in their powdery arms, but the book thief managed to break away. Desperate humans often seem able to do this. She did not know where she was running, for Himmel Street no longer existed. Everything was new and apocalyptic. Why was the sky red? How could it be snowing? And why did the snowflakes burn her arms? Liesel slowed to a staggering walk and concentrated up ahead. Where's Frau Dillers, she thought, where's... She wandered a short while longer until the man who found her took her arm and kept talking. You're just in shock, my girl. It's just shock. You're going to be fine. What happened? Liesel asked. Is this still Himmel Street? Yes, the man had disappointed eyes. What had he seen these past few years? This is Himmel. You got bombed, my girl. I'm sorry, darling. 
The girl's mouth wandered on, even if her body was now still. She had forgotten her previous wails for Hans Huberman. That was years ago. A bombing will do that. She said, we have to get my papa, my mama. We have to get Max out, out of the basement. If he's not there, he's in the hallway, looking out the window. He does that sometimes when there's a raid. He doesn't get to look much at the sky, you see. I have to tell him how the weather looks now. He'll never believe me. Her body buckled at that moment, and the LSE man caught her and sat her down. We'll move her in a minute, he told his sergeant. The book thief looked at what was heavy and hurting in her hand. The book, the words, her fingers were bleeding just like they had on her arrival here. The LSE man helped her up and started to lead her away. A wooden spoon was on fire. A man walked past with a broken accordion case and Liso could see the instrument inside. She could see its white teeth and the black notes in between. They smiled at her and triggered an alertness in her reality. We were bombed, she thought, and now she turned to the man at her side and said, that's my papa's accordion. Again, that's my papa's accordion. Don't worry, young girl, you're safe. Just come a little further. But Liesel did not come. She looked to where the man was taking the accordion and followed him. With the red sky still showering its beautiful ash, she stopped the tall LSE worker and said, I'll take that if you like. It's my papa's. Softly, she took it from the man's hand and began carrying it off. It was right about then that she saw the first body. The accordion case fell from her grip the sound of an explosion. Frau Holzefell was scissored on the ground. The next dozen seconds of Liesel Memminger's life. She turns on her heel and looks as far as she can down this ruined canal that was once Himmel Street. She sees two men carrying a body and follows them. When she saw the rest of them, Liesel coughed. She listened momentarily as a man told the others that they had found one of the bodies in pieces in one of the maple trees. There were shocked pajamas and torn faces. It was the boy's hair she saw first. Rudy? She did more than mouth the word now. Rudy! He lay with yellow hair and closed eyes, and the book thief ran toward him and fell down. She dropped the black book. Rudy! She sobbed. Wake up! She grabbed him by his shirt and gave him just the slightest disbelieving shake. Wake up, Rudy. And now, as the sky went on heating and showering ash, Liesel was holding Rudy Steiner's shirt by the front. Rudy, please. The tears grappled with her face. Rudy, please wake up. Wake up. I love you. Come on, Rudy. Come on. Jesse Owens, don't you know I love you? Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. But nothing cared. The rubble just climbed higher, concrete hills with caps of red, a beautiful, tear-stomped girl shaking the dead. Come on, Jesse Owens. But the boy did not wake. In disbelief, Liesel buried her head into Rudy's chest. She held his limp body, trying to keep him from lolling back until she needed to return him to the butchered ground. She did it gently. Slow, slow. God, Rudy. She leaned down and looked at his lifeless face, and Liesel kissed her best friend Rudy Steiner soft and true on his lips. He tasted dusty and sweet. He tasted like regret in the shadows of trees and in the glow of the anarchist suit collection. 
She kissed him long and soft, and when she pulled herself away, she touched his mouth with her fingers. Her hands were trembling, her lips were flushy, and she leaned in once more, this time losing control and misjudging it. Their teeth collided on the demolished world of Himmel Street. That was a really powerful and touching account, Kari. Thank you. Now, let's jump to the epilogue. Death concludes his story by telling us that Liesl died at the ripe old age with three children. She had grandchildren. She was married. Um, Liesl was happy in her life. Um, Death also tells us that Liesl would be taken in by the mayor's wife. That is like a good news day. And after the death of the humor of uh, the Hubermans, after the death of the Hubermans, Max would come looking for Liesl. Max too survived the war. Yay, more good news. Um, Liesl would be found um, when Max is searching for her, working with Rudy's father in his shop. One of the things that Death says is that he returns Liesl's book to her. And she's like, did you read it? He's like, yeah, I read it. The end. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. All right. Sounds good. We're back. So, Kari, what is your final verdict? And would you recommend the book? A five out of five. I really love this book. Maybe four out of five. I like the fact that there's poetry on every page. The way the mundane is described is just so beautiful um, that the plot is not what's keeping my interest solely. You know how sometimes books are like this happened and this happened. Right. And that's fine. Like I've read a couple books like that this week. Um, But this book is really... mm, each page I want to devour. It's it's very um, intriguing the way emotions are portrayed uh, and described and the way emotions are projected onto the reader. Anyway, I loved it. Would definitely recommend. Even in its saddest moments, it's still very beautiful. And that beauty for me was redeeming. It's not like the Bronte sisters where it's like, she found an ugly man. He's emotionally abusive. His wife's in the attic. They get married. Like, what? <laughs> Trash. This book was more like yeah, there's pain fun. everywhere. Death is a character. But you even you even get a little attached to death mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. And there's there's something there. There's some poetry even there. So I would highly recommend. Very well written. Alexis, what about you? Those are the very same things I felt about the book. The poetry throughout the book was in the descriptions. The storytelling itself, I think, is fantastic. But the poetry and the some of that is in bold in the book. So if you have the actual book, you can see that. But then it's still written in how they describe things, the way 
she talks about the library, the way she talks about the neighborhood, the way the way the book um, touches on these harsh moments. Even they are written in a poetic moment, in a poetic mm-hmm. way. The way they're marching to Dachau, that is described quite poetically, even in its violence. And mm-hmm. um, mm. I think it's just so touching. And I read one review of the book and it said they felt sorry for death at the end. And I get that. I get how you feel. Oh, it. Wow. There are moments within this book where you well, death is saying, I am like tired. I had to go and I I couldn't even stay. If they want to stay alive, let them because I, I got some more work to do. Death mm-hmm. is wore out. <laughs> the amount of work that he is putting in collecting bodies, you know, so you do. I agree with that review and you get that sense that you feel sorry for death for all the work that he has to do. So One, I really um, line that really. Go ahead. One line that really stuck with me is um, how he's describing young soldiers who think they're racing mm, yeah. to their enemies on the battlefield when really they're just running toward him. Yeah. This is death talking. Yeah. That was really well done. Wow. So I would definitely recommend it. I'm glad it was recommended to me. Um, It's told very well. And um, I would read it again for sure. Lovely. Now, uh, after watching the movie, uh, which one did you enjoy more, the book or the movie? Still the book. Still the book. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I think the movie was done well. Um, there were parts that I would like to have seen included. Um, I watched it probably a month ago now, but um, same. I enjoyed it. I the end where they show her examining the bodies of the people that she loved. I thought that was done well. I like. I'm glad I got to see that and on the screen. So that was really precious to me. Um, it was gentle. Um, I, I thought the movie was done well. What about you? Did you have a preference? So there is some layers to Lisa that I thought the um, actress wasn't giving ro- room to portray. Like for me at the end, when her whole world mm. is um, bombed, mm-hmm. she's not crying. And I don't necessarily want her to be in uh-huh. the movie. Um, she's not crying. And She's just mostly kind of dazed. And then a a soldier, there's this part where um, a Nazi soldier collected her in his arms and laid her like out on a cot or a gurney. Mm -hmm. And that is to show you the beauty in these disgusting moments and these hateful, violent moments. Um, But I don't know. I just felt more with the book. Now, the movie has Joffrey Rush and Emily Watson. Right. Great. Amazing actor. Excellent. And as soon as you see them, you're excited. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is, where is the Oscar? Yeah. Just give it to him. Because you really, know they're the perfect ones to play this role. Really well done. Joffrey really carried the movie. But even Mama's Layers, Emily Watson did a great job with her character. But I don't think, I, I just don't think the screen, um, the screenplay and the directing added the layers that the book gives you and even the th- the thieving portion and their hunger that's taken out of the movie yeah that's um, a necessary part 
It's kind of necessary. You need to know the desperation of these children at this mm-hmm. time. I don't know, but Rudy's adorable. Adorable. Uh, Liesl, adorable. So if you just watch it for that, now at the end, they do kind of put her in grown-up clothes to make, make it look like time has passed, and she still look like a little kid. It's cute, though. I don't know. It's great. They're both great, but the book is better. Definitely. The I book is that. better. Definitely. So that's been our review of The Book Thief, part one and part two. Now, you'll remember that uh, last week, or was it the week before? Yeah, so two weeks ago, you'll remember that two weeks ago, we talked about 10 ways to make $10,000 in 10 days. Oh, boy. And Alexis, I want to ask you, what's your plan to make $10,000 in 10 days, and how can we support you? Okay, so... Uh, this, let me just be honest. It has been a struggle for me to come up with something. Um, Mm -hmm. but I did think about some things and, uh, one of the things that I recently came up with that has been in the back of my mind, I just decided now is the time to dig in voiceover work. So I am going to... That's <laughs> going to okay. look into that, and I, once I get set up, then I'll be able to attack the ten and ten. Um, I probably reduce mine, but that is absolutely what I will choose. Now, I don't where the support comes in. I don't know. Keep listening. <laughs> well, I have an idea. I would love for you to create a demo, and if you could turn that demo into a great reel. And also, uh, or TikTok, and um, also a post, then I can share that Uh across all my channels. Okay. Um, We can add info in the show notes. Uh, Get that together. Uh, Okay. And we expect to hear more next week. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Okay, so next week, I'm going to... uh, go ahead and forward you guys Alexis's information for her. Is a week good enough? Because you're moving yeah, out of the palace. No, I can do a week. My plan was to do it in the next couple of days. So okay. I think I could um, do it. I had a coaching session. So that kind of hypes me. If you want to hear some of Alexis's <laughs> best work, please listen to our episode Fences by August Wilson, oh, where she portrays Viola Davis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I love that. Anything else? Well, Are you adding any other efforts? No, that's what I'm going to sit on for now. I do want to do um, low content books on Amazon, but I have yes. to set aside and um, focus on that. But I do want to do that. I want to make some journals and some coloring books because that's a thing. I've been that's something I've been sitting on for a while. I finally opened my Amazon account, seller account. So <laughs> that's half the battle for me. It was an experience trying to get that done. So. Yeah, I'll, once I have some books out there, I'll share them with you guys. Great. Have you decided on something, Kari? What is your chosen idea? Well, like you, I am going to reduce the amount of my goal. It's still, um, it's weird because it's like seven in the morning for me and Alexis is drinking wine. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's in Buckingham Palace. <laughs> I was worried for a little bit and I was like, oh, wait, no, this is an afternoon, yeah. evening nearly. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, 
Yeah. So uh, there are three things that I'm going to do to make $5,000 in 10 days. And they are as follows. I am gearing up um, a last push for my a last push for the first quarter for my candle company. Now, you guys know I, I hand make candles. Um, you can find those candles at lovelightatees.com. They're all inspired by black authors and playwrights. Uh, so we have Flora Neil Hurston's candle and that's a floral rosy candle. We have Langston's library. That's the bestseller. It's a masculine, warm, woodsy, almost tobacco-y kind of candle. That's my favorite. So, um, yeah, I'm going to talk about that more on all platforms, but please feel free to follow Love Light to Tease you guys on Instagram um, and also visit my website, lovelightatease.com. Um, by the end of this month, I will say I plan to um, add this to the efforts that I am combining to make $5,000. Uh, the second part is a low content book, um, but I'm going to make a book reading journal. Now for our show, we take a lot of notes um, on the books that we read so that we can properly dive deep into them and talk about the plot points to you for you guys um, and for each other. So I'm going to make a journal that lists those um, points that I'm always trying to jot down, um, how the book made me feel, what my final verdict would be. Um, and I'll sell that on Amazon um, and other platforms. And then uh, lastly, oh, what was the last thing I was going to do? Those Obviously, sound like I'm really great ideas, the first two. So I'm sure oh. your third one is even better. The last thing is to make a podcast class. This I want to do right. So this may take a little longer. The, the candle effort is ready. Uh, those candles are made and packaged. Um, when it comes to uh, the book journal, that's something we've been doing for three years. So I know what needs to be in that journal. Um, but the course, I'm first taking class on how to create a course that is beneficial and worth the money. And I'll keep you guys posted with that. You guys, you your go. plans for making $10,000 in 10 days, Please remember to share them with us on social media. Email us. Ask us at litsocietypod.com. Um, That's our email. Anyway, we want to hear from you guys. All right. Anything else, Alexis? No. Well, then, what are we reading next week? Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's right. Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Now, this is a book that was all the rage last year. And I was like, oh, self-help book. Gross. Um, but I need some help for myself. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to reading Atomic Habits. to tap into that comment. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on five Apple stars. Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. We love y'all too. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, you guys, read something. Read something.